Hi, I'm Biang Liu, and this is Go Time. It's Go Time, a weekly podcast where we discuss interesting topics around the Go programming language, the community, and everything in between. If you currently write Go or aspire to, this is the show for you. All right, and we are back for another episode of Go Time. This is episode number 12. Uh, here with me today is Brian Kettleson. Hello. And I should say I'm Eric St. Martin. I always forget that. Uh, unfortunately, Carlicia is not here today with us. Uh, she's doing her first week at her new job, but she's here with us in spirit. And I know that she would love being here today, especially because she is a super big fan of our guest today, uh, which is Biang Liu uh, from Sourcegraph. How are you doing? Doing great. Great to be here. Yeah, we're all big fans of Sourcegraph. You guys are famous for live tweeting GopherCon. That was so awesome. <laughs> Thanks. Are you guys doing that again this year? Uh, we got to figure that out, actually. I'm, I'm actually not going to be able to go to GopherCon, unfortunately. What? And it's, uh, it's canceled. usually me that's uh, organizing the live tweeting. But we do have uh, Dmitry Shirilov and uh, Renfred Harper um dimitri you, you guys probably know because he's pretty prominent in the the go open source community but they're both going and hopefully they'll they'll organize something i didn't even realize that he worked for sourcegraph that's awesome yeah he's been a member of the team for uh, i think about a year and a half now one of the more senior members and he's awesome we got to get him on the show too every time i come up with some absolutely crazy <laughs> go project his name is on it i don't understand that <laughs> Yeah, you guys should really have him on the show. He's uh, he's done a lot of great stuff in the open source community, and he's just a great guy in general. Yeah, we'll, we'll get him on the schedule too. Yeah. But today it's you. So let's yeah. talk about all the awesome tools that you guys have dropped in the last couple of weeks. Holy cow. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. We've, uh, we've shipped a lot of stuff in the past couple of weeks. Um, there's some the new editor integrations uh, and native stuff that I'm pretty excited about that kind of gets the information that Sourcegraph provides uh, just in your editor and, you know, literally, you know, one keystroke or, or uh, zero keystrokes actually away uh, when you're when you're programming. Yeah, we were talking about that a couple episodes ago. I guess I guess I should start by uh, giving an intro. I, I assume most of your listeners probably won't have heard of Sourcegraph, so I should probably say a little bit about uh, what we do, right? Yeah, definitely. Cool. Yeah. So uh, Sourcegraph's essentially a programming assistant that's built on top of uh, the global graph of code. And so what I mean by that is the assistant part is it helps you answer a bunch of questions that pop up, you know, every single day, every single hour when you're coding. Things like, you know, how do I use this particular function? Who else uses it? Who should I bug if I have a, a more in-depth question that I need to ask? Uh, and it does all that by building on top of this uh, graph of code. So you know every every single piece of code, every single definition, package, um, type, whatever is a node in that graph. And the edges are essentially you know function calls or package imports. And that's something that we we do differently than a lot of other tools out there that essentially treat code as, as a blob of text. We actually understand, you know, this is a thing that calls a function over here. And because of that, we're able to give you very high quality usage examples, um, jump to definition in the web browser, and a really good code search. So it's basically this, this you know, all-in reference guide that lets you answer all these questions that arise over the course of the day. It helps you get the answer, you know, within seconds as opposed to minutes. And with a lot less uh, mental energy than, um, you know, something like grep or, you know, just Googling for the answer. So that's that's kind of the sales pitch there. <laughs> it's a pretty good sales pitch. Yeah, a couple of the big ones. Um, the one that uh, we noticed uh, and see, Carlicia is like the encyclopedia here, because I will say <laughs> we talked about it a couple episodes ago and she will tell me specifically which episode it was. We discussed it. Yeah. But we were talking about uh, the new editor plugins and how awesome that was that as you're starting to type a function, you can actually see examples from from re real world projects um, on the usage. And I mean, that's that's so fantastic. Now, does the GitHub uh, plugin or the browser plugin that works on top of GitHub, does that also show that? I remember it showing documentation 
and references to other code, but does it show stuff in line as well? Um, it doesn't show anything in line. So with, with the Chrome extension, uh, it's it's a little bit more limiting because we essentially have to build on top of you know pre-existing UI, uh, and that's a little bit tougher than than building our own application. So we do our best to show you know all the information we can there, but it's still not as good of an experience as kind of like in the editor and uh, on sourcecraft.com, unfortunately. Now the other thing that I noticed you guys did was um, released uh, what's it sourcelib I think it's called. Yep. Which is the library behind doing the code parsing. Yeah, so basically, you know, in order to extract the uh, the information that we uh, we use to display, uh, you know, great code search results and usage snippets to the user, we need to actually parse the code and extract the symbol table and, you know, do other sorts of static analysis. And we do that across a couple of, of different languages now. Uh, we started with Go, but uh, we now support Java and soon uh, Python and JavaScript. And so in order to do that in a language independent fashion, we, we built this library called Sourcelib that uh, kind of um, shells out to language specific analyzers and then transforms the data they admit into a language agnostic format that then is consumed by the application. So the application doesn't have to worry about you know, the specifics of a particular language. It just has to deal with that one data format. Have you seen anybody using that for like any interesting projects? I, every time I see that, I'm like, I want to build something with that, but I haven't come up with a, a fun use case. But I say the same about all static code analysis. I'm like, I feel like I could do something useful here. I just don't know what that is. Yet. <laughs> yeah, actually, you know, uh, the the impetus for our editor plugins and integrations came from the community, just people building on top of that and saying like, hey, this information is useful. I just want to uh, you know, jam it in my editor, which is where I spend a lot of my time. And so we kind of looked at that and said, hey, you know, we can help out with that. In addition, you know, build in uh, kind of like full on uh, support for, for that experience. So it's not just this kind of, you know, hacky thing. It's, it's actually like a first class citizen in, in uh, the experience that people get from Sourcegraph. So I, I played with the uh, Vim extension, actually in NeoVim, I don't know if it makes a difference, but I played in the, the Vim extension, I guess it was last week or the week before, yep. and I was blown away. I cannot believe how <laughs> freaking cool that was. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I, I turned it off because it was just a little bit slow, sorry, Yeah. but I think all of that's just internet latency, but it was really impressive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, performance is a, is a big thing that we're hammering on right now. Um, and we're actually going to ship a, a, nat a native desktop client soon that should hopefully help with the, the latency things. So kind of a sneak peek at that. Yeah, that's got to be hard too, like Brian said, with the network latency. It's much easier to do that stuff when all the code exists locally than it is to do it remotely. Yeah, and what we'd like to do in the future is, is really connect the code that's on your local machine to you know, this global graph that exists out there you know, in the the ether, the cloud, because um, that's really, uh, you know, where the, a lot of the magic can happen. You know, you have access to this, um, you know, dictionary and index over all the, you know, possible open source code that you could use in the world. And at the same time, you're changing just like a tiny bit of that graph locally in the stuff that you're doing in your uh, individual editor. And it would be awesome just to like kind of understand in real time um how the semantics of the code are changing you know you change a function here and that's going to change you know how many callers of this particular open source uh function there are or that's going to change um you know that's going to have an impact on someone else on your team who's uh changing the same code or related piece of code and um a big push for us in the future is just you know bringing more of that experience natively so that we you know, have access to to the graph, the the bits and pieces of the graph that are changing in real time as you're kind of t typing in your editor. That's kind of crazy. Can you give us an idea of of what the request flow looks like when I'm typing in Vim? What's 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 happening behind the scenes? Yeah. So uh, the architecture, we try to do things in a way that um, are are as scalable as possible, in in the sense that we want to support a bunch of different editor plugins without a lot of you know deep uh, custom work for each editor. So what each plugin does is essentially there's there's kind of like an API that Sourcegraph exposes um, specifically for the the editor plugins, um, and so you know for 
For example, one of the things that the plugins do is anytime your cursor is uh, is hovering over you know a token in the code, let's say it's you know a function name, uh, what it will do is pull up uh, documentation and usage examples for that function uh, in source graph uh, in your web browser. And what it does there is essentially you know in the editor, it extracts a token name as as well as some contextual information from from the the editor, and then makes an API call to sourcegraph.com saying, you know, show me the documentation for this particular token, um, and here is you know some more contextual information like the repository URL and you know other language specific stuff, and that just hits the API. Sourcegraph then goes and finds that definition in in the in the global graph index um, populates it with you know documentation and looks up some usage snippets and then sends that back over the wire and that's it basically so the the whole process is is wickedly fast when you describe it that way what kind of uh what kind of data storage are you using on the back end i like the hardware stuff but what, what databases what indexes are you using yeah so we we kind of um have a custom uh, graph storage system that's built on top of Postgres and Google Object Store right now. Uh, and so it basically uses Google Object Store for all the kind of detailed metadata. You know, once you know you're looking for data for a specific definition, a specific function or package, uh, then you can look up the detailed metadata in, in the Object Store. And then we use uh, Postgres for some of the more um, things like search queries and uh, listing definitions subject to particular, uh, you know, search, a set of search criteria. And that's actually gotten us uh, surprisingly far. I think, you know, most people, when they think of writing something like a, a search engine over, you know, all the code in the world, uh, Postgres is probably not the first thing that comes to mind. But uh, it's been, we've been impressed so far with, with how good full text search support in in Postgres actually is and it scales pretty well too. Now did you have to build a spider to to index all that data? Yeah, so the way our crawler works is anytime it uh, indexes um, a, a library, it looks at the dependencies because we actually extract the dependencies of that particular library um, and then it just goes and indexes the dependencies. So it just kind of crawls the the graph of code, the dependency graph. Now, have you guys been doing anything with the new big uh, BigQuery data set that went out? Uh, that's been really interesting. Um, we haven't, I, I personally haven't played around with it yet. Um, it's actually interesting because that is is kind of like a text-based approach um, to searching over code. And a lot of the answers you can get from uh, kind of that setup, you can, you can actually kind of get from Sourcegraph already. So, you know, if you're looking for, you know, all callers of a particular function, you know, in, in BigQuery, you probably write a regular expression that runs over uh, the entire set of code that uh, GitHub has put up. And it might be a little bit noisy because, you know, regular expressions aren't perfect at parsing code. Um, but with Sourcegraph, you know, you just go to a definition and, you know, every single usage snippet there is kind of uh, 100% accurate because it, it operates at the the parser level, right? Right. Yeah, because the BigQuery stuff, a lot of people were writing regular expressions where you've kind of tokenized the stuff as you were crawling it, so it's much easier for you to look for specific yeah. things. I want a function named this rather than having to write yeah. a regular expression to match a function definition. Yeah, I will say that stuff is really cool, though. I think one of the um, one of the things that uh, people don't realize enough, I think, is you know, code is just another form of data. You know, it's not just this, uh, uh, people often tend to think of code as, you know, like a form of text that you write in, in an editor, like you would write, you know, a Word doc or something like that. But it's, it's really, you know, very highly structured data. And when you think about a lot of the stuff that we do as programmers, as software engineers, it's really exploring this data set and making changes to this data set. And so I think, you know, what the, what that uh, data dump did, along with kind of like the, the big query uh, queries that went along with it, is, is it showed kind of the power that um, you, you can tap into once you start to treat code as more of a, a data set. So you know, in the future, you can imagine 
you know, more senior members of the team who care about, you know, overall code quality and maintainability of the code base. And they worry about, you know, uh, things that more junior engineers might be doing to shoot themselves in the foot. They can actually, you know, issue queries against uh, a data set, you know, the, the global graph of code or the, the, the graph of code inside your company to look for patterns and anti-patterns like that and make kind of like sweeping changes as opposed to, you know, the old way of doing things or the current way of doing things, which is, you know, single person, single editor, uh, single machine making, you know, changes one at a time. Interesting. So is that kind of what's next for SourceGraph is, is building some team tools for looking for things like that? Yes. Um, I think that's going to be the, you know, the, the individual use case stuff, the search and the snippets is, is really valuable for, you know, every programmer, you know, in the, in the, in terms of the day-to-day stuff that you do. But, um, I think that the, the real value is just going to be in the way that we can change how teams work together to build software. So it's things like, um, you know, issuing queries like that to discover anti-patterns in the code. It's also, um, you know, more kind of explicit forms of collaboration where if you have a question about the code right now, more likely than not, you either, you know, go and ask the person in person or maybe you drop them a uh, message in chat, in which case that information, both cases, that that the answer to that question that you asked is lost to, to time almost as soon as, as it's answered. And um, that kind of sucks because if you have that question, chances are someone else on your team is probably going to have that same question or a very similar question later on. And wouldn't it be nice if, uh, you know, the, the tool that you use could actually attach, you know, discussion messages to specific pieces of code and those kind of like stay with the code, stay with that particular function or package as, you know, the, the lines of code change over time. So we think a lot about uh, the impact that we can have on team productivity because I think that, you know, software engineering, like programming, I actually think it's it's pretty, it's still pretty early days in terms of, you know, software engineering methodology and uh, kind of like best practices. I think um, it's astounding to me that like in 2016, uh, a software project like healthcare.gov is not kind of like a trivial thing to do. Like you can't just, you know, take a, a team of four to five uh, programmers and and implement that. And I think a lot of what we want to do is kind of address the the pains that software teams have that prevent them from executing on projects like that. Oh, that's interesting. So on top of the stuff that you have kind of globally, you, you guys offer um, kind of on-premise installs of SourceGraph too, right? Yeah, for we're we're kind of limited in um, who we go on prem with right now, just because you know we're still a small team and um, on prem is is a bit of a, of a larger commitment. Um, so our main on prem customer right now is Twitter, uh, and we're kind of holding off on on prem for for smaller customers at the moment. But we do, do we do offer an on prem solution. Yeah, I mean all of that comes with with support and keeping people up to date and all that jazz. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about your, your usage of Go at SourceGraph. Is, is most of this stuff primarily written in Go? Yeah, most of the application stack um, is written in Go. Uh, basically everything except the front end, which of course is JavaScript, and the language analysis stuff, which is more polyglot. But everything else is, is basically written in Go. And Go has been amazing for kind of two reasons. Uh, one is just a really solid uh, tool um, to, to build on top of, uh, all the, it's, it's a very kind of like no nonsense language There's very few surprises that you encounter, uh, when building a web application with it, the tooling around it is great. Um, and that kind of leads into the second reason why, why Go has been great. It's, it's kind of been an inspiration actually for, um, a lot of the concepts that we want to promote with SourceGraph. Um, I think, you know, the tooling around Go is so solid that, it really lets you think of code more as this uh, form of data that you can modify um, with other tools, not just by, you know, like handcrafting it, hand typing it in, um, you know, things like, you know, Go generate, for instance, I think like all the metaprogramming that's that uh, is enabled in Go um, would be much tougher in other languages without, you know, as strong tooling. 
And that just leads to, you know, incredible productivity gains when you're able to just like generate a bunch of code that does what you want to do as opposed to having a human just type all that stuff out. Oh, absolutely. Couldn't agree with that more. Just make Brian type it all out. He's got this. Yeah, I'm no, I'm I'm yeah. I'm the king of code generation. If if you can generate it, I'm your guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's great. Uh, and then there's also um, uh, Alan Donovan has done such great work with Go Oracle. And uh, I think the the talk that I, I was most looking forward to that I'm sad I'm missing at GopherCon is uh, the, the talk he's going to give on the, the Go Guru, uh, which is kind of like an extension of the Go Oracle that is designed for um, editor integrations and things like that. Now, did you know that we're live streaming GopherCon this year? Uh, I did not. Well, part of it. The morning. Morning. I will probably tune in. Yeah, we're 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 live streaming the morning shows at um, uh, twitch.tv slash gophercon. Nice. So if you just tune in, tune in to twitch.tv slash gophercon. If I can make the whole streaming thing work, I mean, I'm an old guy. I don't know. This whole Twitch thing <laughs> is for the young kids. But if we can make the streaming work, then uh, then you'll be able to catch that talk at 9:35 a.m. on the 11th. That's awesome. You guys, I have to say, like, you know, every the, the two gopher cons that I've gone to have been have been just top notch. Thanks for all the work that you guys put in to, to make that happen. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's, it's our love the community. It's fun and it's stressful. And but I think the, the, <laughs> the kind of uh, reward from it is, is better than the, the stress we get from it. But yeah, we're a few days out from. Well, actually, Brian hops on a plane tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. And then I follow him the next morning. Yeah. So it's coming up. How, how has it been to kind of, you know, watch, watch that thing grow along with the Go community over the years? Uh, I think it's mostly mind-blowing. <laughs> yeah, do you want the truth? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, the first year was, uh, was craziest, obviously, because we didn't know what we were doing and we learned a lot the first year. Yeah. Last year, we had some ideas, but we, we grew into the convention center, which changed the rules for everything. And that, that made it a much, much bigger concept this year you know it's our second year in the convention center so we have a better idea of what we're doing yeah but the the go landscape is changing a little bit you know we have a different set of sponsors this year for for a portion of them we always have uh, some of the same people come back over and over and we truly appreciate that but we do have a, a different group of sponsors this year it's a go as go matures um the the target of our sponsorship will will change too yeah and that, that has been different for us yeah, I mean, we're still learning each year too. You know, um, how technical the talks should be. You know, whether we should do multi-track or single track, and we're still kind of experimenting a little bit to kind of figure out what the exact format is. But people still keep coming, so we're doing something right, I guess. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, any any like broader trends you've noticed in uh, like the Go landscape? Like who's using Go? Who's coming to the conference? I think Brian and I, you know, we continue to come back to this whole, um, most of the new distributed systems tools are all being written in Go. We just continuously see that. Mm -hmm. It's like every new distributed systems tool that comes out is written in Go. Yeah. And I don't know whether it's, I, I don't know whether it's because Go's the best language is for that or whether people who use Go also love distributed systems. I'm not really sure, but... <laughs> I mean, I'm happy that it works, though. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. Um, th I think the thing that's surprised me most this year is the fact that we're seeing registrations from really off-the-wall places. There was um, an auto parts store <laughs> that registered a couple employees a couple, couple really? like, two or three weeks ago. That's crazy. And, and when that email hit, hit it is, that, you know, that, that email hit my inbox, I thought, you know, that's, that's a big adoption point for Go. You know, it's not a tech company. It's not some VC funded startup somewhere. Uh, they're not cutting edge, whatever. It's just an auto parts company. Yeah. And for me, that was that was uh, it felt like an inflection point for Go. Yeah. I mean, I think that speaks to one of the broader trends, not just in Go, but in the software world in general, which is, you know, more and more you're seeing companies that you don't think of as traditional tech companies becoming highly dependent on the software uh, they're able to build. Right. Um, I don't know if uh, you guys have you guys seen the new kind of like GE ad campaign uh, where the tagline is essentially you know, GE is a digital company that happens to do infrastructure. Uh, and the whole point of it is to appeal more to you know software engineers and convince people that, you know, GE is kind of a software first organization. Huh. It, it's almost impossible to have any business without software anymore. 
Yeah. You know, we depend on it so much for just about everything. Yeah, totally. It's like, you know, business logic has been a, a term that's been uh, that has existed for for a long time now and and uh, often been misused, but now it's like, you know, more and more the the logic of your business is in the business logic of your code. And it's safer there, too. <laughs> Depends on who's writing. Yeah. <laughs> I say there's a, a big competitive advantage for That's some true. companies if they have software systems that allow them to provide whatever their goods or services are faster. I mean, I think of Walmart as the shining example of a company that uses really cutting edge software to cut their margins down drastically. I mean, they've got all this just in time inventory. You know, they see a weather forecast yeah. coming in. Uh, for a hurricane and they start shipping water bottles to Florida before the, the hurricane even hits because they've got these really strong IT systems. I think, I think that's a good example of, of how software is changing uh, all business, not just tech, traditionally technical companies. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, as that shift is happening, I think, you know, I think Go is, is pretty good because the tooling is so good around it. But in a lot of other language ecosystems, I really think that the the tooling is kind of lagging behind all the places where software is becoming critical. Um, just because, you know, you, you take a look at, you know, uh, a typical large, you know, non-technology company that tries to do software, more often than not, you know, those projects are over budget, over time, they under-deliver on features. And something that we think about a lot is, you know, how can we build... Um, the the tooling ecosystem and the you know um, kind of programming assistant for individuals and teams that uh, enables you know people who don't organizations that that don't necessarily you know they're, they're not steeped in kind of software development methodology uh, and so they need kind of better tools to to efficiently build things and and deliver things on time. I think that's going to be like a big question the the industry has to address in the next couple of years. Um, otherwise, we're going to see more things like you know healthcare.gov uh, <laughs> and things of that nature. Well, that's actually a really good transition into our discussion about our sponsor. Speaking of people who build great tools to help you ship your software, <laughs> Equinox, one of my favorite tooling companies, uh, Equinox.io, helps you package and distribute your Go applications. Uh, you can package and release CLI and on-premise software using Equinox. And I think my favorite part about using Equinox is the native packages and installers for Mac, Windows, and Linux. So you get the MSI, you get the PKG file, you get Debian files, RPMs, YUMs, all of that good stuff. Uh, it, it's really easy to create an application and then let Equinox ship it to your customers in a self-updating format. Uh, we use Equinox at Backplane, and I think, Beyond, you mentioned that uh, you had used it before, too, hadn't you? Yeah, we've used it for on-prem stuff at Sourcegraph, and I just have to say, it's it's so easy. Like, if you're kind of like, uh, if it's your job to manage, like, on-prem or, you know, native installers for uh, a Go-based application, um, and you're just, like, worried about the headache that that entails, then... Like this is, you should definitely check check out Equinox. It's it makes your life so much easier. It pretty much works out of the box, and it's just really great. And I also have to give a, out a shout out to uh, Equinox's creator Alan Shreve. Uh, he's just a great guy. He's really you know prominent in the Go open source community, and he's just done so much uh, great open source stuff um, that. Yeah, I just have to I just have to give a give a shout out to him. <laughs> that's awesome. We we probably talk about Ngrok at least once an episode. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to point out. If you haven't heard of Equinox, you certainly have heard of Ngrok. <laughs> and he also um he gave a talk I think at uh this year's .go about um basically it was he wrote a program that makes it much easier to read through uh functions and go code by Basically, what it does is it strips out all the um, kind of boilerplate. So, you know, when you're reading through a function trying to understand how it works, you really want to concentrate on kind of like the, like, what is it doing? You don't, you don't want to think about like logging statements or like error handling or anything like that. And uh, he wrote a tool that kind of strips out all that other cruft and just shows you the, the part of the 
the code that is probably you know what you want to see when you're when you're reading through something oh, that's so interesting. if you haven't checked out that talk i would hi- highly recommend that that is slick what's the project called uh i don't know what the name of the project is but if you i think it was at dot go if you just search dot go alan shreve uh, i think the talk will come up that's awesome well, you can support Alan and his company Equinox by going to equinox.io slash go time. And uh, Equinox is free for community and personal projects and very inexpensive for companies to release their tools. So go check it out. We love them. I'm sure he'd be perfectly happy with bags of money. Too, <laughs> to <ship> to <laughs> well, I had, I had to pay for my Ngrok subscription because I love it so damn much. Ngrok is, I mean, I use it every single day. Yeah. Yeah, I'm constantly using Ngrok. So Alan's getting two two sponsorships for the price of one today. <laughs> the double double. I'm curious to hear uh in addition to things like Ngrox and Equinox, what other uh tools do you guys rely on day to day that you find really useful? Oh, that's interesting. Um I mean, so so many of them are are probably abstracted away from me now with Vimgo. I don't run them myself. Mm-hmm. But uh I mean a lot of the stuff that comes in Go Metal Winter I use quite a bit, um, which I almost feel like I should turn off for a little bit so that I visually catch these things now <laughs> and I don't just sit here and write code. I'm like, eh, it'll catch it. Yeah, my answer would be the same as Eric's just because uh, I, I use Vimgo and I have absolutely no idea what the 17 binaries it's running in the background uh, managing my code for me. I love them all, though. Thank you. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. At prior places, we, I mean, we used some stuff like uh, FFJSON and um, SQL C and some stuff like that. I'm trying to think about some of the other tools we use for some of the code generation. And Yeah, what, what do you guys use? Uh, like, what, what parts of code do you, do you auto-generate in your code base? <laughs> Generate all the things. <laughs> all the things. <laughs> Yeah, so Brian's mostly been on the Goa kick lately, so generating all the API stuff from kind of a, a specification of the API. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'm giving a talk at abstractions.io. I'm in Pittsburgh whenever that is, August something, about generating all the things. I'm really uh-huh. excited about that because uh, the one of the fun things about Goa is that it's got this uh, DSL engine in it that means that you can create your own DSL to to parse whatever you want to parse and then uh, take the metadata out of that and generate whatever you want to generate. Yeah. So it's, it's not just generating APIs. If you spend a few hours writing some code, you can generate Kubernetes configurations or Docker files or uh, whatever it is that you need to generate. And that's, that's kind of been my, my burning mission for 2016 is to really just generate everything and have that DSL be the single source of truth for me. And I really like that a lot because uh, it, you're generating um, you're generating the code and it becomes very easy to make changes to your system. And the DSL is very self-documenting. So you understand what you're doing and why. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, I've seen, I've seen some polls going out about kind of dependency management tools and stuff like that, that are favored. I'd be really interested to see kind of what the state of what, what tools people use regularly for Go development are. Yeah. And I, I'm willing to bet there are probably a lot of popular tools in there that I don't use and I should. I'm sure there are. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I feel like every other week there's some new tool that I, that uh, someone mentions and I'm like, oh, wait, you know, like that would be really useful. I'm not. Why am I not using that yet? I have Florin and uh, GoTime channel just at Delve. How do, how do we forget yeah, how, about Delve? How could we possibly forget about the best debugger ever? Although I don't ever debug. So yeah. maybe that's why I forgot about it, because I don't ever debug. <laughs> My code just works. Do you just <laughs> are you are you a print deaf man? Is yeah, that the... yeah, it puts <laughs> print it out. <laughs> yeah, I think I used Delve yeah, uh, I do twice as well, and I found it to be impressive. Yeah, I'm I'm not always a debugger person. It depends on kind of how intricate the the issue is that I'm trying to diagnose and how much I need to pay attention to um, overall state of the application and stuff like that versus you know, whether this this particular block of code is getting hit and what the values within that scope are. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so uh, I guess a lot of times I'm probably a print person, but yeah, occasionally I do need to break out a debugger. Yeah. How about you? What, what source graph? What are you guys using over there that we might be interested in stealing from you? Mm-hmm. Um, well, the, the, the thing I use the most is probably source graph itself, um, just for 
exploring code and finding user examples. Um, other than that, uh, before I used the kind of like Go Emacs plugin, because I use Emacs as my editor, but I've since switched to kind of like the, the um, Emacs editor uh, plugin that we, we shipped recently. Um, let's see, what else? You know, Brian and I are going to try not to hold that against you. <laughs> yeah. So like for, for kind of like the day-to-day, like, you know, I'm programming, I need to look up information. I mostly rely on Sourcegraph for that these days. Um, for kind of like the metaprogramming stuff, um, we, we generate a lot of things. We have, uh, we wrote this tool called GenMox that automatically creates uh, mock structs for testing purposes. So, you know, you have a struct that represents some sort of service that you want to call. Um, GenMox will generate a mock for that that lets you easily mock um, every endpoint of that service. We have, uh, we use gRPC um, gateway to uh, generate the the API to to the application that the the UI and the editor plugins hit. Um, let's see. Yeah, gRPC is another one um, I've used heavily. Yeah, GenMox looks interesting. Though. I haven't seen that one. Well, it looks interesting. The GenMox that you were talking about. Oh yeah, GenMox. That's a it's it's a pretty small tool, pretty straightforward. Um, uh, check it out. Um, it looks like it just kind of takes an interface and kind of generates mock stuff uh, structs for you. Yeah. That implement that interface. Yeah, I wish I wish Dimitri were here actually because he could actually speak to a, a lot of the, the the tools that we use and all the stuff we we do to maintain kind of like good quality code as uh, the application progresses. Can we get like uh, the who wants to be a millionaire on <laughs> a friend? Yeah, Can we get that going. Uh, we'll just have a, a show just for Dimitri. <laughs> That that would definitely be another interesting show. Yeah, we can talk about his uh, his uh, gist code imports. <laughs> yeah. So uh, <laughs> I forgot about that. So um, uh, I guess we're we're probably getting shorter on time here. You guys want to talk about any interesting news and projects? I have uh, a couple interesting things to talk about. Um. I know which one you're. Which one am first. I going to say? Just tell me which one am I going to say first. Go ahead. Go ahead. Twitch. Twitch. It's yeah. Twitch. That blog post that Twitch put out <laughs> a couple of days ago. Uh, we'll put the link up on Twitter and and in the show notes about the garbage collector latency. That was just an amazing blog post. Loved that. Really good post. I had I read it twice. And I think this speaks to uh, Beyond's point, kind of like the the kind of just the tooling and just the way the community interacts too. Like I I love watching the journey here of kind of how they work together on uh, continuously improving this. Did Did you see that post? Uh, no, I hadn't seen it yet. I'm definitely gonna check it out though. Yeah. So it's basically Twitch walking through uh, starting their release with I think it was one two. Yeah, go one two of Go. And their chat server implementation and um, the GC pauses and things and kind of the evolution of discovering what those latencies are and working with kind of patches on their side and working uh, in parallel with the Go team and getting some of that stuff implemented and changed in the Mm -hmm. garbage collector. And it was insane. Like it went in total from what, like 10 milliseconds? It was tens of seconds down down to one millisecond. It was insane crazy. In, in garbage collection pause times. And it's just an awesome story for Twitch and their engineering team and a great story for Go, too, to show just how much uh, Go has improved over the years, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess, uh, I mean, maybe the Go team doesn't get as much love as they should for some of these things that happen behind the scenes that, that most of us aren't even aware of. Yep. You know, we, we see the... Uh, we see the end result like, oh, yeah, you know, garbage collection times went down, but we don't see the, the you know, insane pain that some company suffered and engineers from their teams and go kind of working together to collaborate and, yeah. and make it better for the rest of us. I'm, uh, I'm really looking forward to the Go Guru uh, talk at GopherCon. I hope there's like a follow-up um, blog post uh, and I'm looking forward to using it too. That looks awesome. I think uh, the Go team again there is is doing great work, pushing, pushing forward. You know, not just the state of Go tooling, but also like you know what other language has just a tool that works out of the box that does so much that 
you know, pr- provides as much information about the code as as the Go Oracle does. I agree. It's almost like they have um, parallel paths of of performance and tooling. You know, they're they're marching down two different directions of of making Go as fast as it can possibly be, but then uh, creating this amazing ecosystem of of tools that really make our lives as developers better. Yep. We heart the Go team. There's some really interesting talks this year that I, I really want to see. You know, there's some deep dives. One of the ones that I find most interesting, too, is the, uh, the packet injection one. Like, I think that one's going to be a lot of fun because it's totally different. Uh, doing packet capture and analysis yeah. with Go. Well, you know, we're live streaming, Eric. You can, you can watch it at home. <laughs> if you go to twitch.tv slash gophercon. <laughs> I can watch it at home. <laughs> Can I hide out in my hotel room and watch <laughs> it? It's kind of awesome. Hey, anybody seen Eric? Nope. <laughs> so the sad thing is we always have to wait until the videos come out. We don't really get to see the, the, the talks until afterwards, but we get, we get something completely different out of it. So it's a lot of fun. So uh, what else do we have going on? Uh, I know there's been a couple of releases. Uh, Kubernetes 1.3 came out, which yeah, is awesome. Big release. Which kind of had some of the Kubernetes stuff in it. Uh, which is the kind of cluster federation. Yep. And they bumped, they bumped up the max size too. It's like 2,000 node clusters and I want to say 50 or 60,000 uh, containers. Yeah, I saw a tweet a couple hours ago about 60,000 pods. I don't know if, if that's correct, but it, it certainly seems like uh, the addition of etcd 3.0 allowed them to scale quite a bit. I know the, the etcd release was big. But yeah, Minikube's really awesome. And I, I know that they, I think that they're mostly compatible now with the um, OCI and CNI stuff for uh, Rocket. And then I haven't checked out the new dashboard, but I'm looking forward to that too. But yeah, it seemed like some cool stuff there. Um, there was another project that hit 102. Tra- tra- um, traffic. Traffic.io, the load balancer. Yes. That looked like a big release for them. And then Glide was released at uh, yeah. zero. Dot 11 this week looked like they had a lot of very nice features added there but i think mostly it was a pretty quiet week i think everybody's holding all of their big releases for GopherCon next week and i don't blame them because it is the the big event in the go community so you know we, we expect all the big news to come next week and then um yeah i think mostly the past week has been all the big query stuff which uh i'm sure like you've been reading most of the posts right young with that yeah yeah i've been following along yeah so that's mainly the big thing and you were ahead of the curve because you guys have been doing uh, code analysis on all the Go projects on GitHub for yeah. quite some time now. So do you guys do any metrics right now? Are, are you building any statistics internally about kind of commonly used packages and things like that? Yeah, we have a lot of those statistics internally. We, we're still working on kind of like the product version of that. Um, what, what sort of statistics would you guys like to see on uh, Go projects? I, I think that should be fun. I think we should make a call out for people too. Like, let, let's create yeah. a, a list of um, stats people would be interested in, because I, th- I think that would. Yeah, be- like uh, you know, the things that we're thinking about are you know, like some basic statistics you can already get from the site are you know how many how many times is this play uh, sorry how many how many times is this function called in uh, the Go universe? Uh, how many other repositories reference hmm. it? How many times do they call it? For each repository, who are the authors that uh, use this function in some way or another? Um, but there's there's a lot more statistics statistics we could actually show the user. It's just a question of you know what's the most important thing? What's the more what are the most important pieces of information to show a user when they're trying to you know uh, navigate a a library or figure out how to use something or determine whether you know this library is the best one to use for for the job at hand i would love to see how many external dependencies there are you know this does this library have 47 other dependencies yeah like how many how many things depend on it or how many things it depends on no how many how many things it depends on you know is there a left pad coming up in my future (laughs) yeah yeah totally (laughs) yeah i i guess i would be really interested to see kind of um, the effects of importing a project, right? So like if I'm going to import this package for something I need it for, how many, how many packages and maybe how many lines of code in general, like am, am I importing just to get whatever that function is that I want? And maybe I use that as the determination of whether or not I should 
uh, just make a copy of this one yeah. function or whether I should import the project itself. Or, I mean, I think stuff like that might be valuable. So, and we should put a call out though to to anybody who has interesting ideas. Should they should they shout at you at, at uh, your Twitter account? Should they just, email uh, you? You can either either tweet at sourcegraph. It's a SRC graph, or just email uh, hi at sourcegraph.com. Nice. I always like those hi at email addresses. <laughs> I need very one. friendly. <laughs> I mean, like a hi at GopherCon or a hi at Gopher Academy. Well, I guess we can't say hi at GopherCon because now it has a different meaning, right? With all the new rules. <laughs> Especially in Colorado, yeah. Very different. So it might be taken uh, incorrectly. Right? Uh, so what else, we, what else do we have going on? Well, I think it's time for Free Software Friday. Oh, yeah. How can we forget about Free Software Friday? We can't. It's, it's in my blood. Do you know about Free, free Software Friday, Beyond? Uh, no, enlighten me. <laughs> Yeah, so Brian started a couple months ago now, uh, this whole kind of thing to do hashtags on Twitter for Free Software Friday. Uh-huh. So basically show love to um, open source projects or maintainers that are making our lives easier. Because I think we often forget to say anything to project maintainers until we're unhappy. Yep. So, And so as part of the show, we've kind of tried to incorporate that so that we're encouraging other people to do so. So before we kind of finish out the show, we like to just kind of go around the panel and kind of just thank some project that is in some way making our lives easier or has made our lives easier. Cool. Yeah. So you can feel free to do one yourself or, you know, or not because we're kind of blindsiding <laughs> you with it. But Brian and I both have ones. We're gonna yeah, do. I'm, I'm going to start off. I'll kick it off with GoKit. So, you know, we've got this API training class on Sunday before GopherCon. And one of the last topics we hit is code generation. And I remembered as I was writing the slides for it that I wrote a code generator for GoKit last year. Um, I, you know, last probably this time last summer, a year ago. So I dusted it off, cloned it from GitHub, pulled it down locally, and I ran it. And it's it generates a GoKit service based on uh, uh, using JSON encoding for a, a GoKit API service. And I was blown away because the code generator that I haven't touched in a year was uh, generating code that compiled against today's GoKit. And that's API stability that you cannot buy anywhere else. I was really, really impressed. How, how many other projects have you seen where uh, you can you not touch something for a year and it compiles against the, the current version of, of that project? I was, I was impressed. So shout out to GoKit and their team and Peter for API stability. Rock and roll. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. So for me this week, um, so I, I, was, I was struggling to think of something like big and it's always the little tools we miss. So I went back to the basics here. So the silver searcher, I've been using this for a few years now instead of like ACK and grep when I'm just trying to search around um, directories, the output's a lot cleaner and the, the speed that you can grep kind of through a directory is just insane. And one of the coolest things that I love about it is that it also, um, adheres to your like uh, HD ignore and get ignore files. So when you're searching for something inside of your, your source repo, it will ignore searching through files that are already in your ignore list. And then it has its own uh, .ag ignore that you can kind of use at a global level to tell it to ignore files with extensions or in certain paths and all that stuff. So if you're still using ACK and grep, I, I highly suggest trying out the silver searcher. Nice. Nice. There's a, a good Vim plugin for that, isn't there? Yes. So, um, and and it's a one <laughs> less key. <in> the <laughs> That's a G. It's A G to search using the Silver Searcher. I mean, in that one key. So yeah, there's a um, a plugin for Vim so that you can do a colon A G and use it within your. Not that Beyong would need that because he uses that other thing. <laughs> I know. I, I need to use I, I need to use Sourcegraph more. Yeah. Check it out. <laughs> Send us feedback. Tell us how we can make it better. Um, yeah, I think, uh, the project I'm going to call out this, uh, this week is, um, it's actually a project that's not released yet <laughs> publicly, I think, but it's uh, something that we've been using internally. It's, it's written by Matt Holt, uh, who is author of, you know, the, the popular caddy, um, HTTP server. Oh, yeah. um, so he, he wrote this library called, uh, checkup, uh, I believe is the name. And what it is, is it's essentially this, uh, uptime monitor. Um, so, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, all these services that do, um, 
uptime monitoring already. But what it what it does is it has like a really nice uh, kind of configuration format for just quickly specifying a bunch of uh, URLs uh, that you can hit. So, you know, one frustrating thing for me with a lot of uptime monitors is that the UI is just so clunky and you have to go and manually update it. And then, you know, something changes and you got to go through and navigate through the UI and update that again. And it would be nice to just describe all the, you know, key endpoints that you want to hit um, just, you know, in code. So those those can change as the code changes. And then you can deploy this thing to, you know, any server, any like AWS or uh, GCP node. And it just kind of works. It gives you pretty graphs for how uptime is going. And it's just kind of like super easy to use. Very feels very, you know, native to the Go ecosystem. You know, no nonsense, no cruft, just, you know, write out the list of things that you want to monitor uptime for and, and you're good to go. So shout out to him. He's done so much great work for, for the community. Absolutely. Uh, I, I was actually Googling around for it. I couldn't find any public mention of it, but we've been, we've been kind of using it internally. So if we get all two of our listeners and us <laughs> to beat up Matt, maybe we can get it released. Yeah, tweet at him. <laughs> tweet, I say. Come on, Matt. I don't even know how many people are listening live right now. Maybe Matt's listening right now. <laughs> all six of them are listening. Uh, so I think that we are probably, I think we're out of time. I think we're a few minutes over, but I think this has been a lot of fun. And I really want to thank everybody who's on the show. I want to thank all the listeners. I want to thank our sponsors, uh, Equinox. Uh, it's Equinox.io slash go time. Right. Uh, definitely hit them up. Uh, share the show with uh, other programmers. If you haven't subscribed already, you can go to GoTimeFM and subscribe to our upcoming weekly email newsletter. Uh, follow us on Twitter. And we are GoTimeFM on the Gophers uh, Slack channel as well. Uh, and I think with that said, uh, uh, goodbye, everybody. And we are out next week because of GopherCon. Woo-hoo. What is conferences getting in the way of podcasts? <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> but don't forget if, if you're listening live don't forget that we're live streaming GopherCon twitch.tv slash GopherCon did I mention that already? Uh, yeah the, the morning section you did okay good so yeah catch us there and if you are at GopherCon come visit us um, we will have t-shirts and I think that's it uh, thank you for being on the show too Bian. it's been a lot of fun thank you so much for having me this has been awesome that's a wrap <laughs> <laughs>